And now we get into the season of snow and shoveling. I mean, the season of giving. Um, but you know, we live in Michigan, right? Okay, last I checked, we're not on that other peninsula state. We're in Michigan, <laughs> and we should expect this. But uh, glad you're able to make it out today. Uh, just isn't it wonderful to be alive and to be serving our Lord and giving Him the glory? Uh, not just one day a week, uh, two days a week, but all of our life. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, one Sunday morning, man woke up about five in the morning. The rest of the family was asleep, wife, children. He thought, hey, I've got time for myself. So he went downstairs, and he got the newspaper. He got his coffee ready. He sat down, and he was just about to take a sip of the coffee when he heard the thud, thud, thud of his daughter's feet, five-year-old daughter coming down the stairs. And he goes, honey, what are you doing up? Go back to bed. And she goes, but I'm not sleepy. Now, determined to get his newspaper read, he again urged her to go back to get bed, and, and again she said, no, I'm not sleepy. Then he glanced down at the newspaper that he had opened up in front of him, and there was a big picture of the world on one whole page. It was an advertisement. And he got an idea, and he reached over, and he ripped that page out of the paper. Then he ripped the picture, all the pieces, and he handed it to her, and he said, you go in the dining room and put the world back together. And, uh, you know, so he thought he had gained himself a lot of time, and he, he started to take a few sips of his coffee and just gotten a few more sentences into the article he had started, and there she was. Uh, he'd given her some scotch tape to put it all together with, and there it was, completely done. It hadn't even been two or three minutes. He goes, honey, how did you do that so fast? And, and she said, well, Dad, on the back of that picture of the world there was a picture of a man. When you get the man right, the world is all right. Think about that when it comes to Jesus Christ. Jesus came to set the world right, to make man right again. If we can put man to rights, then the world will be a better place, a peaceful place. And as Christians, I think we, we've done a very good job at presenting the good news of Jesus Christ and how important it is for us to be saved. But I think we've focused a little bit too much on being saved as an individual. Because we can put individuals together, but unless we put humanity back together, the world will not be whole. And isn't that what Jesus did when he came on the cross and died for all humanity? He put mankind back together again so that we could be whole. But we in Western culture have such a focus on individuality that we don't really see the group aspect that Scripture is so full of. You know, we read the book of Acts and we discover these places where people are baptized and their whole family all in kind of one set. We don't, we don't even understand what that means. What's going on there? We value the choice of each individual over the group. They valued the group over the individual. Even when we try to forge a family identity, it's hard because we're so steeped in this individualistic culture 
that we can't break out of it. And as a result, religion in our culture has become a personal matter. Something that should not interfere with our public life and the way we live our life. And especially the way that we talk about it to those in the world around us. It's okay to be religious, just keep it to yourself. You know, if you can't keep it to yourself, then you can care for the poor because, you know, the state really doesn't want to take care of the poor anyway. So you just, you take care of the poor, keep your religion to yourself. Now this was pretty bearable as long as the culture generally supported our Christian way of life. But there's a newsflash I want you all to hear about in case you haven't heard it. Our culture is not necessarily supportive to the Christian life any longer. Not that it may have been that very supportive all along. But there is no more an easy ride for Christians in our culture. If we want to live our faith out, we have to be bold. We have to stand up for what we believe. If we focus too much on the individual and forget the needs of the whole culture that we live in, um, then we are going to have a hard time really understanding why Jesus Christ came to earth in the first place. Our passage today, which is a messianic prophecy, uh, is one in which individual salvation uh, is shown to be not the real focus of why Jesus came. Jesus came to make the world right, to make the whole world right, not just individuals within the world. He wanted to do something greater. You know, too often we say, well, you know, that's, that's in heaven. Everything will be perfect. But some of that heaven interferes into earth. That's why Jesus came. That's where the church is, that place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So God doesn't save all that for heaven. He wants some of that to be coming in now. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this passage that was read earlier uh, out of Isaiah, the 11th chapter. And, and focus in a little bit more. Look at verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles out, take a look. The shoot from the stump of Jesse is Jesus. He is the Messiah in the line of David. And it says there that he will be strong in the Spirit. And it will be manifest within him in some pretty specific ways. One of them is through wisdom. Now, if you think about Jesus as part of the lineage of David, the house of David... Solomon was David's son. And what was Solomon known for? Wasn't he known for his great wisdom? He is also going to be someone who has great understanding. And his counsel will be ex just exceptional. Primarily, I think, because he is God and he knows the heart of man. So he can counsel us well. His power is unprecedented. Even in Jesus' life, as he performed the miracles, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they understood that what he was doing was way beyond what had been seen since the great prophets of old. He was a man of God. Nicodemus said it himself. He said, Lord, we know that if you were not a man of God, you could not do the things that you are doing now. So he had exceptional power. His knowledge, we read in Isaiah, is going to be great, greater than expected even. Remember the boy Jesus when he came to the temple at the age of accountability at 12 years old? 
He came to the temple and family went back to Nazareth and they looked around and they realized, wait a minute, he's not with us. And they ran back to Jerusalem, frantically searching for him. And where do they find him? In the temple, amazing the scribes and the teachers of the law is his understanding of the law of God. And finally, it says in Isaiah that he will take joy in fearing the Lord. You know, as opposed to the leaders of Israel who did not fear God and as a result were rebelling against him, not doing his will. He feared the Lord and he valued that. That phrase there, fear the Lord, is one that's a little paradoxical in our everyday thinking, the way we use that word fear. That word fear. It says there, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, if we understood fear in the context uh, that it is given there in Isaiah, we'd understand that it is more of an idea of respect. Uh, we can delight in the fear of the Lord because when we fear slash respect him, we are blessed by him. We all can appreciate a savior. A savior who is this well qualified. On the day of judgment, I want to have a judge like that who's before me, knows me, and can judge me fairly. But Isaiah's prophetic, prophetic description does not stop there. Yes, Jesus will be our judge, but his judgment is not reserved for the end of time. It is also experienced here and now. It is experienced first through his proclamation, uh, through the proclamation of the word. And that is all of our job, not just the preacher, not just the elders, not just the teachers. Every Christian has that job to proclaim the word of God. And when we proclaim the whole counsel of God, both the words of hope and the words of condemnation, it does bring judgment on the world, on the world. Because often the world is living at odds with the will of God. And so just speaking the words of good news will often bring judgment upon the world. But a quick read of the Old and New Testament turns up an intense interest for something else. Uh, and that intense interest is for justice. Justice for the poor, just as we read in that passage today. And the term we often use to describe this today is social justice. And by the way, that's not a term that is the, is the uh, language of one political party over another or one group within society over another. It is biblical language. God wants justice in our social order. It is something that he came to help us understand. It is close to the heart of God. The coming of the Messiah is to be noted by his concern for the social outcasts, for the poor, for the diseased, for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner, for the marginalized in our society. Yet for years, the majority of the church in America remained quiet about glaring injustices in our society. Injustices like the displacement and perhaps even genocide of Native Americans. The practice of slavery then the discrimination under Jim Crow laws. We said nothing about the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. And as a church, we were slow to join the cause of racial equality. Today, we'll march against abortion, but we turned a blind eye against the increasing gap between the rich and the poor and the permanent underclass that's developed within our culture. 
These are all issues that God is concerned with. Indeed, these are issues that God condemned ancient Israel, the leaders of ancient Israel for, through the prophets like Isaiah, for practicing those type of things. We have to be concerned about that church, not just about individual personal salvation. But yes, preaching the good news and hope of salvation in Jesus Christ is our primary commission. But how is someone going to accept the message that Jesus loves them when it comes from someone who doesn't even show that same kind of love? That's not a very good practice of friendship evangelism at all, is it? We live a lifestyle that accepts the status quo, which is biblically unjust. And yet, we're calling people to come to a Savior, and they look at us and they say, something doesn't come together here. The words and the life are not together. Now, I grant that these are big societal issues. And sometimes, we are just overwhelmed with the enormity of the injustice that is all around us. It's everywhere. You look at the murder rate. You look at the underemployment rate. Uh, if you look at the employment rate right now, it looks pretty good, but there's a lot of people who just never went back to work. They've given up. Um, when you look at the dropout rate from our schools, uh, for an industrialized nation, we should be ashamed of the rate of dropouts that we have. They never finish high school. Is that something the church should be concerned about? Yes, it is, because it's a matter of justice. And some of the reasons why they don't make it through are reasons to do with economics, opportunity, that they aren't afforded. And we think of all this, and we think, well, that my efforts are just a drop in the bucket compared to all the problems that are out there. You know, it's interesting, though. Even though we say it's a drop in the bucket and we try to turn a blind eye, what happens? Don't we still feel the tug? Don't we feel, still feel the sense that something else needs to be done. You know, even those who don't have Christ in their life know when things aren't right. In his book, Simply Christian, uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright begins his chapter uh, entitled, Putting the World to Rights, with a following personal story. Let me just read this to you. He says, I had a dream the other night, a powerful and interesting dream. And the rea really frustrating thing is, I can't remember what it was about. I had a flash of it as I woke up, enough to make me think how extraordinary and meaningful it was. And then it was gone. Then he writes, Our passion for justice often seems like that. We dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, a world where things work out where societies function fairly and efficiently, and then we wake up and we come back to reality. Now, according to Wright, our longing for justice comes with the, he's British, kit of being human. Unfortunately, although we strive for justice, we often fail to achieve it. As Wright says, you fall off your bicycle and you break your leg. You go to the hospital and they fix it. You stagger around for a while on crutches, then, rather gingerly, you start to walk normally again. You can fix a broken leg, a broken toy, a broken television. Why can't we fix injustice? It isn't for lack of trying. And yet, in spite 
of the failures to fix injustices. We keep dreaming, dreaming about that day when all the broken things will be set right. Christians, Wright contends, believe this is so because all humans have heard deep within themselves the echo of a voice which calls them to live with a dream of justice. And followers of Christ believe that Jesus, uh, that in Jesus, that voice became human and did what had to be done to bring it about. I appreciated Brandon's comments today at the Lord's table, uh, talking about uh, the sacrificial nature uh, of what Jesus did. It had to be done. Blood had to be shed to take care of our sins. Jesus came and did what he had to do. Now, in verses 6 through 9, Isaiah's dream is one of what the world will look like. Now, I believe that this is not a vision of earth. It is a vision of heaven and the new earth that is to come at the end of the world. In this world, God made the wolf to eat the lamb, and he called it good, by the way, if you read at the end of the sixth day of creation. The dream represents what is possible in our human relationships if we will truly let the Messiah reign in our hearts. Then that heavenly reality can begin to rule in our lives, in our individual lives, as well as in our societies. As we become leaven, remember that picture that we are to be leaven in our societies? To work through the whole loaf. Sin can be a type of leaven, but Jesus Christ is a leaven as well that can transform our lives and the lives of our society. But for this to happen, we must proclaim the words of God, the word of hope in Christ Jesus, and we must live it in our lives by living lives of holiness. That is why the church is commissioned to preach the good news to every creature so that we get out there and show the good news as well as preach it. We're to wave the banner of Christ high so that the world may believe in him and find salvation, hope, and, I believe, justice. You know, a little over 2,000 years ago, a band of shepherds saw the most remarkable event in their lives, an angel proclaiming the Messiah's arrival, the one who would make mankind right again. Jesus was that anointed one. And he died on the cross and was raised again so that we could have hope for a world, a just world. A world where we can know it's going to work out. Jesus knew this world could not be fully healed on its own terms. In John 16, he told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You see, for us today, the root of Jesse has become our banner. You didn't know there's actually a Christian flag. That's it. A banner. I love the Olympics. I love when they're coming in at the Olympics and they, they all march under their nation's banners. Isn't that a beautiful pageant? Well, imagine a whole world marching under the banner of Christ. 
flowing into the judgment day, that great day when everything will be made right. In the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, we as followers of Jesus Christ from all the different ethnicities that have been called from throughout the world, we have become his people, his church. He dwells here with us through his spirit in anticipation of that day when perfect peace and justice will reign. We are his dwelling place. And it is our job to make this place glorious. A place where love and justice is practiced on earth as it is in heaven. A place where those seeking salvation from a cruel world can find it. Church, we are important. And how we do church is important. Because the world will see us through Jesus Christ. The world will find that hope, that justice, that they so long for. Last week, I noted in my sermon that when we were saved through faith in Christ, when in obedience to Christ we were forgiven of our sins as we were buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, I noted that it is then that our Christian journey begins. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. And I said, now we have to walk the path that our Savior has pioneered for us. We have to follow him, our trail guide, to that evacuation point. And along the way, we have work to do to help our fellow travelers, to help those that, we, uh, that the Lord has saved, who we now have to help along that trail to the evacuation point. And part of the work that we do as we're on that trail to the evacuation point is doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God, Micah 6, verses 7 and 8. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And this song has two purposes. One is to remind us who are Christians that we accepted the call of Christ. And when we did that, when we were baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and that was a good thing. And it has been, I know for me, a, a very good thing. Hard to think of my life outside of Christ. And I'm so blessed that way. But we are also called to live for him in each and every situation of life. So that not just the message of salvation, but the actuality of peace and justice can be at least glimpsed in our life together as we touch the lives of those we come into contact with here on earth. Christians, we must love Jesus and be willing to stand up for him proactively in our lives. And if standing for him, standing for what is right, costs us in terms of worldly wealth, status, or possessions, then so be it. Do I hear an amen out there? Brandon mentioned in the giving, he said that, you know, the Lord wants us to give with a cheerful heart, but he also wants us to give sacrificially. That means he comes first in our life, not just with our money, but with our time. Matter of fact, when God puts a demand on us that makes it inconvenient for us because of our schedule, who wins? I'll let you answer that question. I hope the answer is God. Because that's how 
the world is going to be put back together again. When we let God fill our lives, when we make, allow him to heal us and make us whole, then we can touch others with the message of salvation, the message of hope, and help the world be healed and put back together again. The second purpose for this song is to give the opportunity for those that are here today who have not yet answered the call of Christ to do that. Today is the day that you can give your hearts in obedience to Jesus. Commit your life to his service and find peace, hope, justice, and yes, salvation in this world and also that hope for the perfect peace, justice that we will have in the next world to come. I want to encourage you to come to him today. Give yourself to him through faith and simple obedience. If you believe that he is the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, and he suffered and died on the cross, if you believe that his death paid the price for our sin and made possible a personal relationship with God, if you believe that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day by the power of God, then make your faith complete today by being immersed, baptized into Jesus Christ. Jesus calls all of us to stand with him and follow him. I ask you this question today. Will you hear and act upon this call? Won't you come to him now while we stand and while we sing?